Amen. Be seated. And if you have a Bible nearby, turn to John 11. John chapter 11. As you're turning, I'll just give you a brief review from last week. If you maybe missed last week or um, just want to review, we were talking about Christ and his disciples were out beyond the Jordan and Christ gets word from two sisters, Mary and Martha, about their brother, Lazarus, who was sick, very sick. And they asked Jesus to come, and uh, if you remember last week, Jesus decided to stay two more days and talk, talk with his disciples. And so we kind of left it there, at, at what's going to happen next. And even though you may know this story, as I think probably we all do, um, even as I've studied this week, some different things have stood out to me, and I hope that, um, that this message will not just be something, well, I've heard this before, I've heard of Jesus raising Lazarus, but that truly we would focus in on what God would say to us through his word. And so I'm gonna, we're going to read it, and then I'm going to give you some observations, and then give you an application at the end. So John 11, today we're going to read 17 through 44, and so... If you found John eleven seventeen, 17, uh, say word. Then when Jesus came, he found that he, which is Lazarus, had lain in the grave four days already. Now Bethany was nigh or close unto Jerusalem, about 15 furlongs off. And many of the Jews came to Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary sat still in the house. Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. But I know that even now, whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it to thee. Jesus said unto her, Thy brother shall rise again. Martha said unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? She saith unto him, Yes, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. And when she had so said, she went her way and called Mary, her sister, secretly, saying, The Master is come, and calleth for thee. As soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came unto him. Now Jesus was not yet come into the town, but was in that place where Mary, excuse me, where Martha had met him. The Jews then, which were with her in the house, and comforted her, when they saw Mary, that she rose up hastily and went out, they followed her, saying, She goes unto the grave to weep there. Then when Mary was come where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying unto him, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews also weeping which came with her, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled, and said, Where have you laid him? And they said unto him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Then said the Jews, Behold how he loved him. And some of them said, 
cannot this man which opened the eyes of the blind have caused that even this man should not have died? Jesus, therefore, again groaning in himself, cometh to the grave. It was a cave, and a stone lay upon it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him that was dead, said unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh, for he hath been dead four days. Jesus said unto her, Said I not unto thee that if thou wouldst believe, thou shouldst see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me, and I knew that thou hearest me always. But because of the people which stand by, I said it, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. And when he had thus spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes. And his face was bound about with a napkin. And Jesus said unto them, Loose him and let him go. We'll stop there for today. I want to break this down really in three sections. Section one, we're going to talk about Jesus and Martha in that first part of the text. Then we're going to talk about Jesus and Mary there in the middle. And then finally at the end, Jesus and Lazarus. So I want to walk through this with you, make some observations that stood out to me this week. Um, so much is in here. And I, 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 don't, I certainly don't think I'm going to be able to cover all I want to, but um, let's see what happens. First, notice in verse 17, as Jesus uh, comes there to Bethany, he finds that Lazarus has been in the grave for how many days? Four days. Why does this even matter? Does, does it even matter, the, the amount of days? We said last week Jesus purposely waited two days after he got the message because he wanted to make sure everyone knew this miracle was going to be a, a miracle. It was going to be what it was. And I also told you last week, and I was reading back some more of this this week, that many Jews in Jesus' day had this tradition or thought that when a body died, the spirit would kind of hover over the body for three days. And, and so some have speculated that Jesus waited four days purposefully so that when they come, and he came and revived brought back to life Lazarus, that they couldn't say, well, he was just in a coma, or he was just passed out. And so they said Jesus was refuting, many have said Jesus was refuting that tradition. Verses 18 and 19, we see that as he comes there, it's been four days, that Lazarus has been dead. Um, Bethany's close to Jerusalem, and so um, many people have come out there to, to console them. And I was thinking about that, even four days after he's been dead, there's still a, the crowd of people who've come from the city to Bethany to, to be with them, and you know, and I, I remember reading this years ago that, you know, when they did funerals back in this time, it was a little different than we do now. They would have family and friends, which we do, but some of these people would also hire mourners to go to funerals and mourn. I'm going to be a good job for somebody. <laughs> Just go mourn. That sounds sad. But they also would mourn very loudly. They would wail and mourn, a lot different than our culture where it's a little more quiet, right, or reverent when we go to a funeral. And also, when we have funerals, we usually go for a day or two as far as a visitation and a funeral. But they would go for many, many days, maybe up to a week. They would stay and be with that family and, and mourn. So again, a little different there, a little difference there in, in culture. But I thought that was interesting. Uh, but, and, and it also applies to the fact that when Jesus does this miracle, there's going to be people there. It's not just a family. It's, there's people. There's a little crowd that's come from the city, from Jerusalem. 
20 and 21, Martha goes out. She doesn't even wait for Jesus to get to the house. She hears that he's coming. She gets word, and she goes out and meets Jesus. And notice what she says in verse 21. Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. Another interesting question to think about, and we'll discuss this Wednesday night, maybe in a small group. Is this a statement of disappointment? It's clearly grief. We know she's, in, she's grieving. But is this a statement of disappointment? Like, Lord, if you'd have been here, you should have been here, and he wouldn't have died. Or is this a statement of faith? Lord, if you would have been here, I know you would have healed his sickness. So I don't know. Is it disappointment or faith? Uh, you can tell me after what you think. It's one of those things where I wish we could see the face of some of these people in the Bible when they say the things or hear their tone, but we don't always uh, know that. We just have to take our best from our context. Regardless, I do believe Martha was a person of faith, and I do believe that she knew Jesus could heal her brother, but I'm not sure right here in this part of the text that she believed that he could raise him from the dead. Actually, I'm pretty sure she did not think that. And I'll tell you why. Look at verse 22. She said, but even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Now, this is a, this is a statement of faith. This shows her faith. She's like, even though this has happened, even though my brother's died, Jesus, I trust that you are who you say you are. And I know that God will give you whatever you ask. I love this idea. Uh, look at the words there, even now. I want to underline that or make a note of that. I wonder if uh, there can be great power in some even now prayers. Like, Lord, um, I didn't get the job I wanted, but even now I'm going to trust you. I'm sick, Lord. My family member is sick, but even now I'm going to trust you. I've lost a loved one, like Martha did. Even now, I believe in you. And she said that, Lord, even now, I trust you. So, so I do see her faith here. And look at verse 23. Jesus says, your brother will rise again. Your brother will rise again. And so is Martha thinking, you know what? Jesus is about to do a miracle. I still don't think so right here, right? I don't think so. By the way, we do this, don't we? When someone passes away that's a Christian, I've told, love, I've told people before, you'll see them again. We tell people that. If they're a Christian, we'll see them again in heaven. And that's encouraging. It's comforting. And Jesus said, you'll see him again. But he wasn't talking about the future. He was talk, well, he's talking about a few minutes in the future. 24. And here's how I know, here's how I think she was, did not expect this resurrection. She says, I know I'm going to see him again in the resurrection on the last day. We see here this belief in a future resurrection where Christ will call and all those in the grave will rise up. And we read that in, in Paul's writings in the scripture. Martha says, I know this. I know my theology, Jesus. I know in the last day he'll, he'll, he'll rise again. I know that that will happen. And, but as I read that, I don't think that's much consolation to her in that moment, right? In that moment, I don't think she's excited necessarily about the resurrection of the last day. She's hurting over her brother. Verse 25, Jesus makes a declaration, and he says to her, remember she just said, he's going to rise in the resurrection, and Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus did not claim to have resurrection he did not claim only to give it in this text he says 
I am it. I am the resurrection. I am the life. To know Jesus is to know life. And listen, if you're a Christian, when you came to be a believer, you at that point, in a sense, began eternal life. Because from this life, you know we will go right to the next with him. To know Christ is to know resurrection. It's to know life. Spurgeon said about this passage, Martha looked on the resurrection and the life as things that were in some dim and misty future. No, says Christ, I am the resurrection and the life. Not only do I get these things by prayer from God, but I am these very things. And then Jesus says, Whoever believes in me, though he were dead, he shall what? Live. He's a giver of life. Jesus challenges Martha to trust that he's the source of life. As I was kind of getting to this part of my study, I started thinking about phobias. Um, you know, I'm, I'm afraid of heights. You can't tell by this pulpit, but... Um, I really, I don't like heights. Um, um, what are you afraid of? Think about it. Some spiders, snakes, small spaces. We all have at least one fear, I'm guessing, most of us, unless you're just fearless. But I think many people, if we, if we dwell on it long enough, many of us have a fear of, of death, or at least how that might happen, because we don't know how it's going to happen. We don't know when it's going to happen. But that's a fear that I think many of us probably have. But can I remind us, Christians, this morning, that though death is maybe the scariest thing we can think about, um, whoever believes in Christ, our source of life, though he were dead, he shall live. Look at verse 26. Because this verse could be kind of confusing to some. Verse 26 says, And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean if I believe in Christ, I don't have to die? Obviously not, because we know Lazarus died, Jesus brought him back, and then what happened later? He ended up dying again. We know the Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die. And so we will all face that point unless Christ comes back first. But the idea of verse 26 is that if we believe in him, we really don't necessarily die. We really just change location, right, from here to eternity. That's the point there. Spurgeon said again on this passage, I love quoting Spurgeon, he said, those that believe in Christ may die, but they live. They're not in the grave, they're forever with the Lord. They are not unconscious, they're not asleep, they're with the Lord. Death cannot truly kill a believer, it only ushers him into real life. There's a song I like, uh, and I've used it before, maybe at a funeral, and it's called, It Is Not Death to Die. It is not death to die, to leave this weary land and go to be with the Lord. A moment ago, we quoted the um, Apostles' Creed. Kendall, can you put that Apostles' Creed back up there and go to the third page? That's right. On the third page, it says... It says, we believe in the resurrection of the body. Remember that part? Y'all remember that if we've read, we've read it before? The resurrection of the body. And I was reading this week, kind of with that and this. There it is. Thank you. The next to last line there, 
I believe in the Holy Spirit, blah, blah, blah. The resurrection of the body, speaking to the future resurrection of these bodies. And I was reading that some of the early church, whenever they had formed these, these creeds, um, they would, on this part, they would point to their bodies. And they would use a Latin phrase I can't pronounce. And they would basically say, even this very flesh. So they would go through this thinking about what they're reading, and they would say, I believe in the resurrection of this very body to remind themselves that one day, though we, our bodies are laid in a grave or wherever our bodies might be, when Jesus speaks and gives life and breathes life into these dead bodies, they will rise again. And we'll have the resurrection even of this very body. Notice Martha's confession in verse 27. Because Jesus had just said, do you believe this? Do you believe what I'm saying to you? Do you believe that I'm the life giver, I'm the resurrection? And in verse 27, she makes it such a beautiful confession. And she says, yes, Lord, I believe you are the Christ. You are the Son of God, which had come into the world. The word I there, when she says I, that is an emphatic I. It's as if she's saying, though no one else does, I believe you're the Christ. I love that picture. Though no one else does, whatever the case may be in my life, even though I'm going through a difficult time where I just lost my brother, she says, I believe you're the Christ. So that's Jesus and Martha. Let's go to the second section, Jesus and Mary. This will be section 28, verse 28 through 38. And so Martha goes back and she gets Mary and she in private and she pulls her out. And I don't know, maybe she went back in private so that Mary could have some maybe time with Jesus without the crowd around or something. And she calls him out there. Mary goes quickly to, uh, to be with Jesus. The people, by the way, in verse 31, they do notice. They do notice that she's leaving, going out there. They follow her. In verse 32 is where I want to start here. They get to, Mary gets there. She falls on her feet. And she says, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother had not died. Is that not the same thing Martha said? They said the same thing. If you'd been here, he had not died. I kind of wonder, those two days when Jesus didn't show up and they had sent word to Jesus, and they, Jesus loved them, they loved him, they knew each other. Do you wonder if they sit around the house going, man, if, if Jesus would have showed up, Lazarus wouldn't have died. I kind of think this was not the first time they probably said this. I bet they probably said it back and forth to each other. Now they get to say it to Christ. Lord, if you would have been here, he would not have died. Verse 33. And then Jesus sees her. She's laying there. She's weeping. The, the crowds around her, the Jews around her are weeping. And it says in verse 33 that he was deeply moved and he was troubled in his spirit. He groaned in his spirit. Then he said, where's the body? And they said, well, come and see. And verse 35, that very famous verse, the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. Then the Jews are, make this comment in verse 36, yes, he, Jesus loved Lazarus. Then in 37, they're, you know, cannot the one who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? And these Jews are, why didn't Jesus do it? He's healed the blind, he's healed the sick. Why didn't he come help his friend who he loves, who he's, who, who he's weeping over? Verse 38, then Jesus Deeply moved again, groaning in his spirit, groaning in himself, 
comes to the grave. And of course, this was a cave with a stone over it. But before I, I go further there, interesting thought here. When it says Mary is weeping, the word there for weeping is a loud wailing, a crying, crying out, almost hysterical crying. When it says in verse 35 that Jesus wept, it is more of a controlled, more of a quiet, somber weeping. I love the fact that we see the humanity of Christ in his, his weeping. I don't know about you guys, but especially as a guy, sometimes you grow up and, and people are like, you know, you got to tough it up. Don't, don't be, there's no crying in baseball, right? There's no crying. Don't be crying. The other day, I don't know what I was doing. I was sitting in my chair. I might have been watching a sad Facebook video. I, I can't remember. And I had like a little tear come out. Aubrey, my seven-year-old, she's seven. Yeah. Can't keep up. She runs up, points at my face and goes, ha, ah, daddy's crying. And then runs off. And I was like, but at this age, I don't even care. I think she's the reason I'm probably crying so much. Yeah. But, but growing up, right, a lot of us guys, you can't be crying. But Jesus wept. He wept. And I think that shows, it does show his humanity. Isn't that amazing? Within a few verses, we're going to see him weeping and humanity and then his divinity as he raises the dead. That's just a beautiful picture of who Christ truly is. God and man. I think also when I see him weeping here, it's, it reminds me that he cared about their hurts. If you, if you go back and look at the context there, he sees Mary weeping and he sees the Jews weeping and he, he feels for them. He, his heart goes out to them. We see that, that Christ, that our God, cares about our hurts. When we're suffering, when we're crying, when we're in some kind of pain, the Lord knows it and he is compassionate toward us. I want to point out another word to you. Look at verse 38 again. When it says here that he groaned in himself coming to the grave, he comes to the grave, he groaned in himself. This word for groan is similar to the word used when a horse would snort. Like what? When a horse would like make a noise or a snort. And so this word where it says he groaned in front of the grave, there is this feeling there, a picture there of Christ being frustrated, almost angry about death. Like frustrated that death had taken his friend. It usually, that word usually denotes anger when it's used in Scripture. So again, I see this sadness. I see Mary weeping. I see the Jews weeping. Jesus is weeping. Then he walks up to the tomb, and he's not, as Calvin said, he's not an idle spectator, but he's a wrestler preparing for a contest. And then Calvin said that no wonder he groans again, he groaned twice, for the violent, violent tyranny of death which he had to overcome stood before his eyes. He stands there with sorrow and maybe just some frustration that death has taken his friend. And look at verse 39. This is the third section. This is Jesus and Lazarus, although Martha makes an appearance. I love this. Jesus says, take away the stone. Take away the stone. He's about to do the miracle. And Martha's like, Lord, it's been four days. The body's decomposed. It's, it stinks. It's, it's not good. Look at verse 40. Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you had believed, you would see the glory of God? I want you to think about Jesus saying these words to her. If you would, did I not tell you, if you would believe, you would see the glory of God. Look at verse 41. Then the stone got moved. <laughs> I love that. 39, 
Move the stone. Lord, we can't move the stone. Do you want to see the glory of God? They took the stone away. And then Jesus stops here. As he does often in his life, Jesus was not too busy to pray. He was not too big time to pray. He was not too spiritual to pray. He knew prayer was important. He lifts up his eyes and he says a simple prayer of thanksgiving to his father. And he says it in such a way that the people around him hear, I think, so that they might know that he's about to do something special. And then we come to verse 43. He prays, verse 43, with a loud voice. Again, I think so that everyone can hear. Lazarus, come forth. Do you think Jesus needed to use a loud voice? He didn't need to, but he chose to. In this occasion, Christ showed, maybe greater than anything else he had done up to this point, that he was God. Power over death. We study back in John 5, which is one of my favorite sections of John, how Jesus, one day he's going to speak and all the bodies will be rose from from the grave. The power of the life-giving voice of the Son of God. And here we see it so plainly. Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus gets up. Jesus says, unbound him. And Lazarus, comes out of that tomb. Can you imagine the scene that day? What is Martha and Mary thinking? What are the Jewish crowds, many who are probably unbelievers, what are they thinking? This guy that we, many of them hate Jesus, they don't want to listen to him, they don't believe in him, and they know this guy's been dead four days, and they know this guy. Some of them may have known, may know Lazarus, He's been dead four days, and he walks out. What's going on? What's the scene like to see what Jesus did? Let me give you one one application statement and two questions as we close. Here's the statement, and it comes from the text. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. That's our application statement. Jesus is the the resurrection and the life. And we must not, church, look to other things to give us life. We must not even look to events, although this is a very special event. We must look to Christ. How many of you this week got either excited or frustrated over something in life? Most of us. Something with your job, something with your family your favorite football team yesterday, whatever it might be, a hobby, an activity, a vacation, a trip, planning things. We get excited about things or we get frustrated over things. And I'm reminded that every day my hope, my joy, my peace needs to be found in Christ, the one who gives life and the one who is, is life. John Piper wrote a book called God is the Gospel, And in the book, he basically says, don't just believe in Christ just so you can go to heaven. Don't come to Christ just for the the benefits of being a Christian. Come to Christ so that you can know Christ and have a relationship with God. And I would venture to say 
People who've come to Christ only to escape hell or gain heaven or feel better about themselves, people who've come to Christ, to God through Christ, for reasons other than knowing God, I would venture to say they need to consider if they truly even know Christ. Because God is the gospel. He is what we want to know, who we want to know. And the purpose of all this, the purpose of church, the purpose of the scripture, the purpose of prayer, the purpose of what we're doing today is that we might know Christ and know him more. And as Paul said in Philippians 3, to know him in the power of his resurrection. To seek him. Again, I was thinking about some of the Psalms this week and the Psalms say things like, Lord, give me protection, give me help. But they go further than that. They say, Lord, don't just give me protection, but, or Lord, don't just give me a shield. Lord, you are my shield. That shows that David had a close relationship with God. And so when we pray or when we think spiritual things, church, are we thinking as like outsider looking in? Are we thinking of someone who truly knows God? Not just, that's, there's a God way up there, but he's close to us. And we can say, Lord, you are my shield. You are my strength. You are my hope. You are the grace I need from day to day. He is the resurrection and the life and true life, joy, hope, and peace must be found in him. Everything else, though we may enjoy the things of this world, ultimately they will leave us wanting something else. We'll never be fully satisfied until we are fully satisfied in Christ. Let me give you two questions. Number one, do you have a clear understanding of who Christ is? This Jesus who showed up to Martha and Mary's place, who spoke truth, who showed love and compassion, who wept as a human, and who raised the dead as God, do you have a clear understanding of who he is? I think many Christians who have a discontent even in their spirit or in their faith and don't feel the peace they think they need, they think like, if I'll just read a few more verses and you should, or I'll just say a few more prayers and you should, or I'll just go to church a few more times and you should. But ultimately our view of who Christ is might be vague or indefinite or a little off. And that might be causing us to have discontent in our spirit. And I pray that God would help us all see the object of our faith more clearly this morning, and that is Christ. You see, I think Martha had some knowledge about Jesus and a love for Christ and some faith, but there were some certain things I think she was missing. And if you're missing that today, like her, maybe you'll see the fullness of Christ, the fullness of his resurrection and of all that he can do. On that note, do you have a clear knowledge of Christ? Sometimes I do feel, and I'm speaking to me, sometimes I do feel like a little ashamed that knowing Christ as long as I have, I don't know him more. Feel that way? Knowing Christ as long as I have, feel like I should know him more, know him better, be closer. And if you feel that way, um, the good news is I think he's there to, to bring us close to him. The Bible says if we draw nigh to God, he'll draw nigh to us. A final question. And a simple question. Do you believe 
in this Jesus. The one who raised Lazarus from the tomb. You see, as I kind of concluded my study this week, I was picturing Jesus standing there. The tomb has been rolled away. He's a, he's, he just prayed. He's about to say those three words, Lazarus, come forth. And before, just before that, I, I'll just kind of wonder, is a thought going through his mind, not many days from now, I'm going to be put in a tomb. But the thought maybe in his mind, I'm going to destroy death once and for all. Lazarus was just a little precursor to what Christ would do very soon as he hung on the cross for our sins, was buried, and then rose again. And that's a precursor to what Christ does in us when we believe in him, all our sin for his grace, right? What a glorious exchange. He takes our sin as we believe, and he gives us grace. And finally, that's a precursor to one day Christ will glorify us in heaven forever. The story of Lazarus is much more than just a little story of God raising one man. It's a picture of what Christ does spiritually through us. I pray that you know Jesus. Let's bow.